Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM, Channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. Good evening to everybody out there on the West Coast driving home in your vehicles. Hello to everybody else in the Middle and the East Coast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I'm John Fugelsang. Here... In Manhattan, New York City, Thea is producing us from Brooklyn. Chris, our executive producer, is being executive in production-like down in South Carolina. I am so happy to have this guest. I just realized this guest has never actually been on this show before. I've, I've talked to this man on his show hundreds of times, and I had him on the old TV show hundreds of times. But what a pleasure to have a, a, a guy who's not just a, uh, to me, a legendary figure for progressive politics, but really a, a legendary figure as a broadcaster, someone who really was ahead of so many curves in terms of how we consume our information, consume our news, and someone who's always found a way to do it in an entertaining way that is smart and puts preachiness way below the entertainment value. He knows how to make a show that gets you fired up and makes you want to watch and makes you smarter in the end. These are just a few of the reasons I've always admired Jenk Uger. Now, of course, you may have heard he is running for president. It is a candidacy that is not without some controversy, and he has been bringing his usual brilliance and fire to the campaign trail. I have so many questions, and I'm so happy to welcome Jenk Uger back to New York City. Hello. John, you're wonderful for that intro. I appreciate you so much. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I've ever done anything without some degree of controversy. And no, there's you a, good have, there's a part of you likes getting in trouble. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. It's it's not that I like getting in trouble, although I'm the right guy for it. Uh, so if you if you need to send someone into a fight, you're going to want to send me, yeah. right? But it's because a fight is necessary. Uh, controversy is necessary. It's not like the establishment's going to say, Oh, you guys win. Why don't you just take our power and use it to help the average person? That's just not a thing they do. It's not a thing they'll ever do. They're in the power protection business. And you know the old legendary quote from Frederick Douglass, power never concedes without That's a demand. Right. That's right. And here I am demanding. Now, um, how many hits has the Young Turks had on YouTube? Uh, overall, for the network, now remember we're on about a dozen platforms. Yeah. So YouTube, Facebook, Roku, Pluto, you name it, right? Uh, so we've had about 25 billion views lifetime. Now, you didn't get 25 billion views by being milk toast about the issues you're passionate about. You've never been afraid to make the room uncomfortable if you're fighting for something. The fame is the silliest thing humans have made, and you've taken all the capital you've generated and used it to fight harder for the issues that you believe in, for the, the, the less fortunate in America, for the non-millionaire class. Again, you're wonderful for saying that, John. But what I want people to understand is the bigger point, which is 
if the people on your side aren't uncomfortable fighting for you, that means they're not doing it right. We sent a lot of progressives. I'm co-founder of Just Democrats. We yep. sent a lot of progressives to Congress. And then guys like Fetterman came along and, and as showing a populist progressive streak that was so popular, got him elected even after he had a stroke, etc. And then as soon as they get into D.C., they get so comfortable. And all of a sudden... They're, uh, you know, spewing establishment talking points, making deals where we get nothing for progressives. Uh, and well, if you're if you got comfortable, you did it wrong. We're the people who are supposed to be your fighters are supposed to take a couple of punches to the face. Yeah, it, it doesn't take courage to throw a punch. It takes courage to take a punch. And if you ever challenge power, you're going to get punched in the face a lot of times. So if you see people out there saying uh, you know things about me uh, try to figure out what the source is why they're saying that and what it is that they're trying to prevent because you won't find anyone else who's fighting as hard as me to make sure that we get things like paid family leave higher minimum wage lower drug prices etc but those are all things that help the average guy who doesn't have any lobbyists who doesn't have any power in dc and why don't we win, guys? Because there's tremendous money and power on the other side. Yeah. The drug companies pretty much own Washington. This, How come you haven't heard any politician on the Democratic side call out specific members of Congress and say, hey, that senator they can. is getting $846,000 in campaign contributions from the drug lobby. And I'm sorry to tell you, and I hate to break your heart, but that senator is a Democrat. I can think of um, a Jewish guy from Vermont who's done that. But in general, yeah, when you look at the vast amounts of money that a Kirsten Cinema took to completely abdicate her morality, to give up everything she ran on. And again, this whole, I mean, the, the whole pretending to be a populist was in place long before Fetterman was on the scene. And, and, and there's plenty of Democrats who are guilty of it as well. You did say progressives never get anything. And, and uh, I, I sort of think that's a bit incorrect. It's not that the progressives want anything. It's not like, oh, Trump's going to do something for the evangelicals. Oh, we're going to do something. Progressives get something when it's something for someone else. Progressives aren't fighting for anything for the progressives. It's not like we're the police union or the teachers union. Progressives are out there fighting for the least of us. And I don't mean to sound too ecclesiastical about it, but it is a, it is a selfless enterprise. You know, the, no one's going to do anything to please the progressives. They're going to do things to help the less fortunate that the progressives are demanding. So that's why there's this irony, John, that we're kind of getting at here, which I've never really crystallized until now, which is that progressives, the voters, are some of the kindest people, if not the kindest people in the country, because they're fighting for others. You know, what's the slogan of progressives that laid in the Bernie's campaign? You know, fight for someone you don't know. Yeah. Right. And so that's so powerful. And but a that's lot of, liberalism. Yeah, that is. And it, it, for the conservative mind, it's no circle the wagons, fight for only your own. One degree right? of empathy. Well, exactly right, John. When but, when someone I love comes out as gay, oh well, then homophobia is wrong. When someone I love is shot by an AR-15, maybe we should look at these things. There's one thing I'll say for progressives: they don't have to know who it happens to before they care. Yeah, John, that is a billion percent right. And we've said all that. But what I just realized is that since progressives are so kind, they're not going to have a natural lobby. They're not going to have a giant corporation on their Correct. side. They're not going to have lobbyists on their side. Hence, they need a fighter. The kindest people need the toughest fighters. I agree. And so that is why I'm in this race, because I get so frustrated 
that people don't fight when they get into DC and don't even Bernie. So I love Bernie, tremendous courage, tremendous honesty. The only guy in politics that has been honest all throughout is so I can't praise him enough. Having said that, he does not love to fight. It's not in his nature. Sure. He's stubborn, which is wonderful because he he did not bend on all those policies for all those years. But if you say to him, criticize Hillary Clinton and talk about uh, the money she's taking. Criticize Joe Biden. Talk about his donors. He will not do it. But under that's smart politics. Vote. That's how you get stuff done. I mean, I, I, I get I get the strategy behind that. It doesn't help Bernie to trash Hillary, and it sure didn't help Hillary to trash Bernie. Yeah, I, John. So that's where the devil's in the details. Oh, it it depends on the circumstance. Politics is all about carrots and sticks. Sure. So hardball and softball. If you never compromise, you're never practical. You're never going to get anything done, right? But if you don't, if you're not super aggressive you're also not going to get as much done. He, the perfect example is, well, two guys, Joe Manchin and Donald Trump. Yep. So Joe Manchin was as aggressive as anyone could possibly be. No, I'm not doing the bill. I'm going to kill the entire bill. I don't care. You're going to give me everything. And you know what? He got everything. He even got the pen. Joe yeah. Biden, after Joe Biden signing the Inflation Reduction Act, handed it to but the that guy. Was kind he of a, that was a bit of a fuck you from Joe Biden to him, I thought, in that moment. No, no way. That oh, was I thought a, it was. No if you look way, at the John. look that Joe Biden shoots him before he hands him the pen, it's like, bitch, you put me through this. Here's your pen. No, he calls, he, he very recent to that, either right before that or right after that, he called him JoJo. No, he loves Joe Manchin. I, think, I don't think Joe Biden and Joe Manchin disagree on a single thing. So you might find that to be a controversial opinion. But so Joe Manchin killed 85% of his agenda. If someone had killed 85% of my agenda, I would despise that guy and I would try to ruin his political the career. child tax credit alone, I would never get over it. Yeah. The child tax credit alone, we showed in 2021 that we can reduce child poverty to the lowest level it's ever been recorded in this country if we want to. We showed it. Yeah, and then we let right. it end again. And that's on Manchin. So, John... You and I agree on policy probably nearly 100%, right? So the question is strategy. And, and I want to talk about that. Yeah. And so when you have Manchin and he, and he obliterates your agenda, if you, if you never criticize him, you never tried one stick, you never tried hardball at all, not 1%, that means you didn't mind. You didn't mind. On the other hand, when progressives insisted to the best of their ability, which wasn't great, but at least they tried a little bit on $15 minimum wage and yeah. paid family leave, et cetera. All of a sudden, Joe Biden's criticizing them 24-7. So he knows how to criticize people. He's got sticks, but he only uses it against progressives and never against Manchin and Cinema. Why? It's not complicated. It's because he agrees with them. In his first interview ever, in his second interview as well, he said, well, now everybody knows we're not going to do $15 minimum wage. Wait. What do you mean everybody knows? You campaigned on it and you said it was the easiest thing there is. You said it was literally the minimum. And in your first interview, in the Super Bowl interview he did after inauguration, now all of a sudden you're saying it's impossible? When a president says that, that means I don't want it. Make sure you take it out of the bill. So he never want. he's, look guys, I, again, if you're a Democrat, I hate to break your heart, but when Republicans take giant money from corporate donors, they serve corporate donors. When Democrats take giant money from corporate donors, Yes, they also serve corporate donors. I know that really hurts to hear for a lot of Democrats. They go, no, not my beloved Nancy Pelosi, not my beloved Joe Biden. They seem so cuddly. No, I mean, private money in politics is the square root of all of our problems. Privately funded elections is the square root of everything. 100%. We want to go after poverty, climate change, you name it. It comes down to all this money because we have a system of legalized bribery. And look, I, I love the way you have always called it out. I, I do want to ask you about the the, the thing. Uh, 24 million 
naturalized citizens in this country who are deprived of any ability to serve their country in the capacity of chief executive. Uh, Jen Granholm, our old co-worker from Current TV, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ted Lieu, none of these public servants could ever serve as president. So let's get this out of the way and talk about the 14th Amendment. I really admire this campaign of yours, and I really admire how much you're educating people about these 24 million citizens who are as patriotic as the next guy, maybe more patriotic because they all made an effort to be in this country. They weren't part of a lucky sperm club. So yeah, why should they be denied? Now, I I know the arguments you're getting all over the place. Let's let's talk about it. The FEC allowed a naturalized citizen to run for president that's been allowed since 2008, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, John, there's the substance and then there's the the what I have faced when I started uh, running. And so I want to get to the substance in a second. Okay. What's really interesting is that in my lifetime, when any, anyone is fighting for any degree of rights, right, large, small, et cetera, civil rights, human rights, the left is on our side, and usually mainstream media is on our side. Mainstream media is very corporate friendly when it comes to economic issues and business issues. But when it comes to civil rights, social rights, generally they're on the right side, right? This has been the one exception. Universally, the Democratic Party and mainstream media have fought me harder than anyone else. And they appear to be screaming at the top of their lungs, how dare you? Don't you know your role? You're a second-class citizen. You don't get to run for president. We don't trust you. And the Democratic Party is not just not fighting this form of discrimination. They're the ones doing it. So we were just in court in South Carolina this week Yes. And it was the Democratic Party lawyer who said, we do not associ- want to associate with you. These are these are quotes, okay? We do not want to associate with you because of the controversy surrounding your fight for these rights. And they're not, they're, they're, again, they're saying you can't serve, but they're also saying you can't even run. Now, now, how much, may I ask, does it cost to file to run for president in the beautiful state of South Carolina? $20,000. Oh, wow. So then they told you you couldn't. So how much did they refund your campaign? Zero. So they kept your money. They stole $20,000. And that's not my money. That's grassroots donors. They're stealing from little grandmas and uncles and aunts and moms and dads who believed enough to to hope and to fight for civil rights. And the Democratic Party said, ha ha, we're going to take your $20,000. we are not going to give it back. And the way that they fought against me in court was unbelievable. They kept saying, "We, we just... We don't care that it's discrimination. Their point of emphasis throughout was, we have the right to discriminate. But that doesn't answer the question of whether you should. So whether you have that right is for the courts to decide. We'll get to that in a second. But in terms of whether the Democratic Party should be fighting me or helping me get on the ballots, because this is a civil rights issue for 24 million Americans, is an easy question. But they have answered it in the exact opposite direction i mean here we are again at the dixiecrats going you know, we, we don't want to be associated with this naturalized citizen the, this guy this foreigner that wasn't born here right. i mean jesus christ and if you're not a naturalized citizen you might not know you might think wait what's the big deal so you can't run for president okay guys it isn't about that it is it's that every naturalized citizen has heard a hundred times in their lives Ha ha, you can't run for president. Yep. And you know what that means? That means you're not really one of us. You don't really belong. You're not 100% American, and we don't really trust you. And the Constitution never actually says a naturalized citizen can't 
run for president. So now let's get to the substance. That's exactly right. So, John, number one, you definitely can run for president. The FEC has said you can run for president. I'm on the ballot in six states. They have uh, viewed Mm -hmm. this uh, correctly, both legally, constitutionally, et cetera. And there's a hundred arguments here, but one that is crystal clear is the 20th Amendment. In the 20th Amendment, it talks about how after the president and vice president are elected, there's a moment where you have to see if they're qualified. Yes. Okay. So the only qualifications are the ones that we know of. So uh, age, residency, uh, in the original constitution, national origin, uh, and uh, insurrection, right? So wait a minute. If there's a qualification after the election, that mm-hmm. means you can definitely run, right? Yeah. So that's like, it's nearly undisputed, yet the Democratic Party is disputing it all across the country in an effort, in my opinion, to protect Joe Biden. If you're afraid of me, Joe Biden, you got a lot bigger issues. Okay, so, but anyways, so in terms of whether you could serve, that's where we get to the 14th Amendment. Yes. And so there's only two times that natural born citizens or naturalized citizens are ever mentioned in the Constitution. That's right. One is the natural born clause and the other is the 14th Amendment. Section one. Section one of the 14th Amendment says all persons born or naturalized have equal protection and due process. Now, I I keep asking people, and whether the left wing, right wing, or in the middle, A, everyone concedes, well, obviously it is discrimination, right? There's no question. That's the whole point is to discriminate. Legal discrimination. Yeah. Second of all, does it make sense? Everybody goes, no, it doesn't make sense. It was probably to keep Alexander Hamilton from running, and that's what the judge in district court said today. And it was to because they were worried about the prince of the Habsburg dynasty taking over. Right, but the debate is, does it overrule the restrictions from Article 2? Yes, and so then, since we all agree it's discrimination, and it's based on national origin, when you get to equal protection in the 14th Amendment, the way that it is interpreted in modern American jurisprudence, and by the way, both liberals and conservative judges agree, it protects what is called suspect classes, protected mm-hmm. classes, mm-hmm. okay? So th- among those are race, obviously, gender, and now gender identity, and national origin. Oh, wait a minute, national origin. In fact, Title Six of the Civil Rights Act very specifically says you cannot discriminate based on national origin. Schneider v. Rusk, a Supreme Court decision, they didn't talk about the presidency, but in another case, they said naturalized citizens have the same exact rights as natural born citizens, that it is impermissible discrimination and that it is not constitutional. And guys, I wanna ask you just from a common sense point of view, if you look at the 14th Amendment, why did they say naturalized Mm -hmm. if they didn't mean naturalized? What else could they have possibly meant? It's the only other time that natural born citizens or naturalized citizens mentioned in the Constitution. Why did they mention it if they didn't mean it? And does not Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 ban discrimination based on national origin? It does. So, in fact, the district court uh, hearing was too short, and we ran out of time because there's so many uh, defendants that we sued the governor, the secretary of state, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm really curious how the circuit court's going to handle it, because that's where we're appealing. That's the most important case, because there's a couple of things that are irreconcilable, flat out, just logically, legally. So if they say that, yes, the Constitution says we can discriminate based on national origin because of the national born clause, they have to rule Title VI unconstitutional. 
Because Title VI says you cannot discriminate based on national origin. So that is an inconsistency that has to be reconciled. At the district court level, I don't think the judge reconciled it at all. We'll see his written opinion. It hasn't come out yet. But in his, he just said denied, and he said it was a really close case. He said it was one of the best argued case he's ever had, and he's a very senior judge. So all the people who thought it was obvious, the district court judge didn't think it was obvious at all. He thought it was as close as it gets. And and so now we'll hear see what the circuit court says. But they have to figure out, is Title VI constitutional or unconstitutional? So that is... And then secondly, they have to say, look, the 14th Amendment comes after the natural born clause. Right. Right? It amends the Constitution. That's, yeah. And they are clearly irreconcilable. You can't say that naturalized citizens have equal rights and say that they can't run for president. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So I love this debate, and you've convinced me. You've totally moved me on this. I'm really curious what's been your experience with our Democratic friends who feel that what you're doing uh, is only going to hurt Joe Biden and leave him bloody and bruised for a Donald Trump to stomp on him, and how can you claim to care about immigrants and women's rights and blah, 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 and still run the same stuff that Marianne Williamson hears every day, the same stuff that anyone who is challenging Joe Biden as a Democrat. You're not running third party. You're running as a Democrat, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So what's been the kind of pushback you've gotten? Okay. So lots to, to go into there. First, if you want to help on the civil rights case alone, jankforamerica.com. Right on. Jankforamerica.com. We on the left are supposed to be for civil rights. We're supposed to be for equality. This is a flat out fight for equality, period. So now when you get to the Joe Biden issue and, and the actual politics, putting aside the constitutional issues. So the reaction has been, how dare you hurt Joe Biden? But Again, if you're a Democrat out there that is used to that kind of thinking, please, I'm asking you to open your mind. Why are we the more authoritarian party where our leadership picks someone for us, whether it's Hillary Clinton, who was not an incumbent, right? By the way, in in local races like when Nina Turner was running against Chantel Brown in Cleveland, the Democratic establishment said, Chantel Brown is our candidate. Who cares what they say? Why do we care what they say? Mm -hmm. So the reason they're saying that is because Chantel said, I'll take lobbyist money, and Nina said, I won't take lobbyist money. Is it fair to say that Hillary Clinton got the most votes in the primary process? I say this as a Bernie supporter. Yeah, of course she did, right? So, But I'm not talking about the end of the process. I'm talking about the beginning of the process. Right, sure. And so what they say is, how dare you run against a person Democratic leadership has already picked in a smoke-filled room? And by the way, in the South Carolina case... 
The Democratic Party lawyer said, we are allowed to pick in smoke-filled rooms, and we do. He said it literally, smoke-filled rooms. He said, no, that is not what's supposed to happen. Especially- Don't you liberals respect the Clean Indoor Air Act? Good God. <laughs> in, in a in an election where we're saying democracy is on the line, and I truly believe it is, because I'm not in this to beat Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden, I got issues with him, et cetera. But if you told me today, hey, Cenk, you get out of the race, Joe Biden gets reelected. I'll do it right now. I'll, I'll even drop the case because my number one issue is to beat Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm positive that Joe Biden is not going to do that. We'll come back to that. OK, so but as I'm challenging Joe Biden, because I'm so I'm worried to death that he's going to lose to Donald Trump. The Democratic reaction has been, how dare you? Any challenger is illegitimate. And should be mocked and derided and and taken off the ballots, not just because of the constitutional issue, but Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips have also been taken off the ballots in four states. Florida shut down their elections completely in the primaries. And then they go with the tagline, democracy's on the line. No, but but the thing is, guys, democracy actually is on the line. Donald Trump is actually a fascist. So when you shut down democracy in the primaries, you you couldn't hurt the Democratic cause any more than that and if your argument is well jenk that's true but please stop pointing out the hypocrisy of democratic leadership because then people might find out no you're shooting the messenger you should ask them to stop doing the things that hurt this party instead of help this party now to the most important point john joe biden right now is at 33 percent. so again if you're a diehard democrat Maybe some of you even love Joe Biden, or you think, you know what, I don't love him, but I thought he did a good enough job. Fair, okay? That's not my point. My point is 33%, no incumbent for federal office, any federal office in an election year has ever come back from being that low. If you say, no, no, I saw him in a poll at 36 or 38, no problem. No incumbent that has been in the 30s in an election year has ever in United States history come back to win. So what that means is Joe Biden has a near 0% chance of winning. I know it breaks your heart, and I know you don't well, want to believe Well, they never run against a racist reality TV show clown after Roe v. Wade was overturned as well. There's a couple of other factors at play here. Uh, John, absolutely right. A couple of different factors. And Donald Trump is, in his own ways, unpopular. Everybody knows that, right? But incumbency really, really hurts. Let me explain a couple of things that are... Oh, I get it. I get it. You're yeah. right. No, so, but two things will put the fear of God in you, and, and this is about political analysis. So number one... Any Democratic candidate, this isn't about Biden, must win by five points in the popular vote. Yes. Otherwise, they're going to lose the Electoral College. Yep. Joe Biden won the popular vote by over seven million votes, and that was a four and a half point difference in the popular vote. And he barely squeaked by in the Electoral College by 44,000 votes in three swing states. So that means you got to win by five to be sure that you're going to win. So when Joe Biden recently in a poll was down by eight that mm-hmm. means he is in effect down by 13 okay so this is disaster area okay now imagine it's october we've got a candidate that's an incumbent and the saudis go you know what we really like trump and they do well that's the thing they're going to be cutting oil production to make gas prices go up to five bucks a gallon for trump this year that they're definitely going to do that yeah and so in october when we get hit with the highest gas prices we've had that means the incumbent is totally screwed yeah so now you have to beat them by five. Gas prices might cost you five to begin with, 
and you're already in the 30s. No objective political analyst would look at that and say that that is anywhere near 50-50. Honestly, if you were being as objective as you could be, you remove the names, remove the parties, and you say candidate X and candidate Y, and you explain the situation, any political analyst will tell you candidate X has about, a, at best, 10% chance of winning. What does a smart Democratic president, just shifting the gears a bit to policy, what does a smart Democratic president do about undocumented immigration at a time when the Republican Party doesn't actually care about undocumented immigration, when they need it, when they need to keep those wages low, and they will never do a thing to go after the Americans who do the hiring. There's no wall that can hide the help wanted sign at our border, and that's the racket. Republicans don't want those people to ever stop crossing the border, but they need the racism to get elected. So what does a smart Democratic president do? So, John, this is where style intersects with substance. So... This is what's so frustrating about those same Democratic leaders that say, trust us, we're the greatest politicians of all time. Don't ever pick anyone else. So on the issue of immigration, number one, how do you fight to show our point of view? You say, all right, guys, here's a bill on immigration reform. It protects dreamers, which is over three quarters of the country wants. Okay. Mm -hmm. It does X, Y, and Z, a lot of very popular proposals. And we're introducing it in the Senate because we still have the Senate. Now, Republicans, go ahead. I'm daring you to vote against it. And they will. They will. Right? And then you go, use the bully pulpit. And you go uh, on the podium and go, guys, we proposed the bill. Here are the Here's this provision that polls us 78%. Here's this provision that polls us 66%. Here's this provision that polls us 58%, etc. Now, Republicans, why are you so unpopular? Why are you proposing the side that is against the great majority of the American people? Why do you hate your voters so much? Because I can show you polling where we win even Republican voters on some of those issues. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So why are you against your own voters? And you pounded and you pounded. Why are you against the dreamers? Why are you against the dreamers? We got about 80% of the country on our side on that. Why don't you fight? And the reason is they don't care. They don't like to they fight. They need the issue. They, listen, they had their bill 10 years ago, the Gang of Eight in the Senate. They had their bipartisan immigration bill, and it was an amnesty. And then Sean Hannity had a focus group, and people called it amnesty. And the next day, every Republican ran away from it. They don't want a solution. They want the controversy. Exactly. And then you put them on the spot. If you say, hey, Republicans uh, say, well, immigration is the most important issue. Good news. I have a bill right here. And the bill is backed by the American people. So what are you still crying about? Either you sign the bill or you say immigration is not that big a deal because I, I took action, whereas the Republicans are refusing to take action because they like the problem. Hey, you know what? Now the problem is yours. I just put it on your lap because I already came up with the solution. You're the one saying no. It's sort of similar to the situation we have right now with Israel and Gaza. I mean, they there are very powerful players in our country who don't want a solution, who like the chaos and take advantage of it. Yeah. So that's another one that's, in, in my opinion, relatively easy. Why are all of these relatively easy? Because we actually have the people on our side. So over two thirds of Americans want a ceasefire. So if the Democrats wanted a ceasefire, they would propose that we end funding to Israel until we have a ceasefire. And then people in Washington would be outraged. How dare you oppose? And American Jews might support that by it, large numbers. Yes. American Jews are among the most progressive voters in the country. So look, the right wing has won in Israel, but there is no monolith. There is no Jewish voters and, or Muslim voters that are all right wing or all left wing or they're all this or they're all that. That's nonsense, right? In, in America... Jews happen to be more left-wing and some of the most progressive people in the country. And so if you put up a ceasefire, 
that issue will definitely win with the American people. In Washington, it'll lose. But then that's why you point out their hypocrisy. That's why you say, hey, look at them. They're against two-thirds of the people. But of course, on that one, Joe Biden is just as guilty, if not more guilty. Jake, the campaign's exciting, and I like a lot of what you're talking about. I really do think that you're challenging so... I mean, this is what you do for a living. This has been your ministry. This has been your path. And I want to ask, how can people who want to learn more or support your campaign help out? What's the best way? So my website is jenkforamerica.com. Jenk is, of course, confusing. C-E-N-K. It's almost like I wasn't born Oh, you trend every other day. Everyone can spell your name, sir. (laughs) I don't know about that, but all right. Jenkforamerica.com. Yes, I am slightly obnoxious because... And that's what you do in your fight. So I also got Biden is going to lose.com. That is easier to remember, easier to spell. Biden is going to lose.com. And guys, I don't say that with relish. I wish it wasn't the case. And in 2020, after the primary was over, uh, and, and you go online and you'll see people criticizing me for this to ad nauseum. I supported Joe Biden 100%. You did. And so we had to beat Donald Trump. And together we beat Donald Trump. Okay. But in this case, guys, I'll leave you with this damning fact. And I and I hate, to, again, I hate that it's true, But you and you can shoot the messenger, but it's not going to change facts. He's down 19 points from when he won in 2020. If you say he won last time, yes, but he was 19 points higher. He was at 52 at that point. Now he's at 33. I'm trying to get the Democratic Party to wake up up strong primaries lead to strong candidates if joe biden drops out right now we still get the governors in and we can get an incredibly strong candidate against donald trump which is exactly what we need jenk it's great to have you here please come back and visit us again on the campaign and let us know how it's going come see us in the la studios thank you so much john you're the best best of luck to you and we will be right back Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. We talk about not only the legal issues of the day, but we also talk about the need to reform ethics in our government. Here's one example, the oath of office. You know the one. I do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
Let's add 22 words to that oath. Quote, and I will promptly report any instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. Friends, our democracy is worth fighting for. Join us in this fight because justice matters. Look for Justice Matters wherever you ordinarily find your podcasts. And welcome back. We are at 866-997-4748. A lot of good movies came out last year. I'm going to have a really hard time this year watching any movie that is more uplifting, emotionally or spiritually, than Lily Gladstone's speech at the Golden Globes as she became the first indigenous person to win a Golden Globe for Best Actress. As much as I love the film, I love seeing Lily Gladstone's representation even more. And uh, what I love even more than that is our Native Voices segment every uh, Thursday. I am so pleased to welcome back to the show Simon Moya-Smith. Simon's an Oglala Lakota and Chicano journalist. He's a contributing writer at NBC News. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Your Spirit Animal is a Jackass, and he recently profiled Paulina Alexis of the Peabody Award-winning FX series Reservation Dogs for the Cut. Simon, welcome back. Good to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Aho. Thank you, man. Julie Franchella is an activist, artist, writer, and veteran mental health professional with over 28 years of experience in the clinical field. She's worked as an executive director of a domestic violence center and as a clinical caseworker for 13 years at a residential treatment center for indigenous youth. She is an enrolled member of the Ojibwe of Botswana First Nation Reserve. She currently works at the First Nations University of Canada, and it is a pleasure to welcome you back, Ms. Franchella. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Well, I thought of you when Lily Gladstone won the Golden Globe, Julie. I know that you and, and Lily are friends. And um, as nice as it is, it, it really does matter, doesn't it? I mean, way more than just, oh, a, a, a token award to this demographic. This There are ripple effects for this that we'll be feeling for a long time. I 100% agree. And she even addressed this in her speech. You know, she talked about how, you know, this is... Um, a win for you know all the little res kids out there and all the little urban Indian kids out there. Um, it's just you know as a as a, a proud Blackfeet Native American, Gladstone's achievement shatters stereotypes and redefines the narrative around Indigenous representation. And you know just th there's a, a comment that was made by the Board of Indian Health, and they were talking about how this uh, win, Lily Gladstone's win, it fosters a sense of pride and, and not just pride, but possibility. You know, when Indigenous kids look, um, you know, to media, they don't see themselves represented. And so oftentimes it's not a possibility for them. And so, you know, um, we're talking about a group of people, Indigenous people that are hit hard by mental health struggles, and it's magnified by the historical traumas and the ongoing injustices. So now, you know, with Gladstone's win, it's not just about, you know, the, the trophy or the win for her, but it is really a loud and proud statement for every Indigenous kid that feels invisible in a world that often overlooks them. And that's, yeah. you know, I think why it's so important. A world that often overlooks them, or even worse, depicts them historically in the most negative, tropey way imaginable yeah. for First Nations people. Simon, yeah. what did it mean? What, what, what do you think? How significant was it that she began her acceptance speech by speaking in the Blackfeet language? 
I think it's extremely important because people need to, as I've said this many times, English is a foreign language. It came on a boat from a completely different place. And hearing indigenous languages, it's it makes you feel, I mean, you're we're already proud to be indigenous, but to see that in that moment, our languages were outlawed, right? Our languages yeah. are now, now with language revitalization, people are getting to understand or learning that we have certain phrases that that we can't even translate into English, right? And we're even have to, having to learn how to like, how, how do you say cell phone in Lakota? Well, we got to create one. How do you say laptop in Lakota? Well, we got to create one. But I think her win humanizes us. For so long, we've been dehumanized and othered. And now right. we're there. There's People have to acknowledge our existence and listen to our resistance, listen to our languages. And if we can just continue this, this uh, at least introduction of who we are, we're writers, we're doctors, we're professors, we're yeah. actors, we're engineers, we're intellectuals, and we live among you. And we are extremely talented on, on so many different levels, but it's about that representation, that people can see us and hear us and know that we didn't die off. John Wayne didn't kill all of us. Right on, right yeah. on. Can, can I ask about this? It, it's a bit awkward, but it, it does make us have to reckon with another uh, recent controversy because um, we can say Lily Gladstone's the first indigenous actress to win a Golden Globe. But 40 years ago, friend of the show, Buffy St. Marie, won a Golden Globe for the song Up Where We Belong from the movie Officer and a Gentleman. And as we've discussed, her heritage has recently been disputed. Uh, do things like this matter? I mean, the Buffy St. Marie thing is, I, I still think it's a matter for her particular nation to decide uh, what her residency status is, what her membership status is. Really? Yeah, I think I think with that, the problem is she doesn't really have a nation per se. She She described herself as being you know, part of the, the Cree nation and that she was adopted when she was a, a child, adopted out of that and then sort of was reconnected with her Cree family. That, I guess, is not really the truth. It was later in life as an adult, you know, the, this Cree family sort of brought her into their fold, which is like sort of a kinship, not, not a traditional adoption. And so in that sense, um, she did a lot for yeah. Indigenous people. But I think what, what the people are saying is that she knew that she wasn't, you know, indigenous and that she just really um, sold sold a, a, a people a, a bill of goods that wasn't true. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little different. But um, of course, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, different opinions out there, obviously, in, in Indian country about Buffy St. Marie. But, you know, in, in uh, at the end of the day, she has been accepted into a family, but you know, yeah. the story was was not really what what we had been, I guess, led to believe. Um, one more thing about the Golden Globes and then I'll move on. I, I didn't realize the only other time a First Nations actor was ever nominated for a Golden Globe in any category for a film. You got to go back 53 years to Chief Dan George for his mm -hmm. performance yeah. in uh, Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman. I had no idea. That's yeah. it's the only other actor in a film to ever have a Globe nomination before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just so much that people don't know. And, and especially, again, what is so significant if they don't know who, you know, Chief Dan George was. I mean, he was somebody that we, we I was an Indian. There's an Indian like just being mentioned, just being seen. Yeah. And the sad part is that does even happen today. 
I mean, we're coming up on an election and a presidential election. And when they when one of the somebody goes down the diversity list and they say and Native Americans were like, oh, shit, we got to mention. And so we're it's it is just about us being included sometimes in the discussion, not not excluded as we continually are today. Yeah, I think that's, you know, Simon's right. That whole idea that we're still here, you know, that we're. Or not invisible, you know, and that's how I think a lot of times Indigenous people feel invisible. Yeah. Last week, we talked a bit about this story that I admit I hadn't heard too much about, that the Navajo Nation had asked NASA um, to delay their private moon mission that was going to place human remains on the moon. I'd like to just bring that up because there's been some news, I believe, over the last week. And for those who might have missed it, let me ask, Julie, why do the Navajo consider this putting human remains or ashes on the moon as desecrating a, a sacred space. And and how has this story developed over the last week? Uh, well, basically, you know, the Navajo Nation uh, had requested that, um, and it's not NASA, it's a private company that's sending uh, remains of, I guess, some wealthy people. I think Gene Roddenberry's remains are one of those um, included um, to the moon. And it's so it's a private company. And NASA is saying that they don't really have anything to do with that, you know, but for the Navajo people and also for many other indigenous cultures, the moon is a sacred site. It's not just a sacred site, but it's considered to be an ancestor um, for many indigenous people, obviously including the Navajo. So it's a celestial body, but it's it's a sacred entity and it is our grandmother. And so, you know, this issue, it, it taps into the larger discourse on humanity's treatment of the earth and the of extension course. of these practices, you know, into outer space. And I'm thinking, you know, so for us, um, I talked to my, um, one of my elders and, and he was saying, you know, there's a reason why she's unreachable. You know, there's a reason why she's out there out of reach. And, you know, she's been a leader and a guide for our people since the beginning of creation. And our grandmother moon's untouchable presence reminds us of the delicate balance of life and our humble yeah. place within it. So it's not, it's it's almost like just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Exactly. I know the 1967 Outer Space Treaty says that no one country owns the moon or, or any celestial body. So that means, sure, the Navajo Nation doesn't have total power, but neither do these private corporations or NASA right. or the United States. Mm-hmm. But they do what the fuck right. they want anyway. I mean, yeah, right. Historic, yeah, historically, white people haven't given a shit about what is sacred to indigenous people. I mean, mm-hmm. just think of the Black Hills, right? That's my yeah. people's. That's where the creation story comes from. We came out of the soil in the Black Hills, and we tell them all the time, "Please stop doing something, especially something like Mount Rushmore." And they're like, "They just did." It. I'm like, "This is extremely sacred to us. This is our sacred land. This is where we come from as a people from the soil." And there's like, "Man, who gives a shit?" And they do the same thing in Wyoming with Devil's Tower. People That's climb right. it all the time and we're, all the indigenous people, this is a sacred site. Could you not climb it? I'm not climbing your fucking church, am I? I'm not climbing your fucking synagogue, am I? Uh, we're not, mm-hmm. we, that's sacred to you. And we appreciate that it's sacred to you. Why can't you guys appreciate what the fuck is sacred to us? 
The Navajo aren't saying that we own the moon. What they're saying is that this is something extremely sensitive, spiritual, traditional. It's important to their cosmology. This is something that has provided them light in the darkness. And all they're doing, all these people do, just shrug. They go, ah, oh, fucking Indians. And again, it's just the same old thing, same old excuses and ignoring what is sacred to indigenous people. But don't you understand, Simon? We have religion. You have superstition. It's a totally uh, different uh, thing, okay? Okay? Ah, uh, fuck that, man. Yeah, they so do. The that's House... another thing they do that with superstition. Yeah. They call our superstition. They're, I mean, the whole story of Noah makes no sense to me. That's oh, superstitious to me. And then when we say something, they're like, oh, that's not possible. Oh, well, they call they but, call you, know, you a tribe. They call you a tribe, but we're a nation. I mean, it's always. Mm. It's the language that the dominant culture uses. Okay. I'm sorry, Julie. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, um, you know, I was talking to um, one of our healers uh, in on my reserve about this particular topic. And, you know, he was saying that our ancestors taught us to live in harmony with nature and to respect the spirits of the land and the sky. You know, and then you see this, you know, sort of happening. It's it it feels like we're taking the worst of our habits, you know, the exploitation, commercialization and disrespect and just, you know, kind of putting it out there. And the Navajo Nation's objection, again, like Simon was saying, it's not against space exploration or scientific progress, but it's a call for respect and consultation. That's right. You know, it's just basic, basic consultation and respect on matters that profoundly impact Native cultural and spiritual beliefs. But then if you look at our history, that's not always been, you know, obviously that's that's kind of par for the chorus, you know. Um, Native peoples and beliefs have been sort of walked over. And so this is just a, a call to be respectful. Well, I guess the White House listens to our show, because after the show last week, the White House had an emergency meeting uh, in response to the letter. And um, then they decided to have the launch on January 8th as planned. The launch, the rocket that was carrying the uh, Peregrine Mission 1, um, the, the rocket itself launched successfully. The lunar lander had a bit of problems, didn't it? It's true. You know, I like to believe that uh, Deb Holland had a little knocking on the door of uh, President <laughs> Biden, like, hey, by the way, come sit maybe down one, for a second. Maybe one bolt was done a little too tight. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's actually kind of a deeply ironic. And, and what happened, Julie? Well, yeah, I, I believe that it 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 did not do what it was supposed to do. So it wasn't able to successfully deposit the remains. The lander so, couldn't, uh, the lander was not able to charge its solar powered yeah. batteries. It was an anomaly. Yeah. And, and so the, what that means is um, the actual lander got into space. It's not going to be able to land on the moon. I think the remains and ashes of those poor, nice people are going to be floating in space yeah. forever. It's never going to land. Spirits got involved, man. That right? this is exactly that's what it Simon. seems like. That's what it seems it's like. It's not seems like. In my in my culture, this is where we would say, ah, yes, the spirits took care of it for us. Spirits, man. Not just the spirits, the heavenly bodies. It's literally the yeah. sun kept them from going mm -hmm. to the moon. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. right. Grandmother, lander, mother, our ancestors. The lander was, the language they used was, it was prevented from achieving a stable sun-pointing orientation. It couldn't. Listen charge its own solar batteries the sun kept the moon clean you don't mess with our grandmother never mess <laughs> with the, the spirits message. man <laughs> no. we are at 866-997-4748 and taking your calls all night long 866-997 
Grit is our number. I, I, sorry, I kind of love this story. I got so upset by it last week, and now this week is just hilarious. Yeah. Well, have you heard about? Do you have a second? If you heard about um, in the 1960s, NASA was preparing for the Apollo project, and they did some astronaut training on the Navajo Indian Reservation. And there's a Navajo elder and his son, and they were herding sheep, and they came across the space crew. And the elder, who only spoke Navajo, asked a question. The son translated, asking what these men were doing in these suits. And a member of the crew said that they were training for their trip to the moon. And the elder got really excited and asked if he could send a message to the moon and the astronauts, a message to the moon spirits. And NASA said, yes, okay, let's do it. And they got a tape recorder, recorded his message in Navajo asked the son if he would translate it. The son said no. And so no person would, would uh, translate the message. So NASA called in an official government translator, <laughs> and he reported that the moon message said, watch out for these guys. They've come to steal your land. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an old joke. Love <laughs> it. Dad, so- you had me going the entire time. Simon, you had to sit uh, on yeah. that. You know that joke, I bet, and had to sit on that the whole time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, All there's right. so many. Oh, uh, yeah. By the way, Nicole A. Mann and John Harrington, those are two indigenous astronauts. People should That's know right. that indigenous people are astronauts, too. Amen. Yeah. Indeed. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. I'm John Fiegel saying this is Progress After Dark. I don't know if you guys noticed before when you were on hold, but we had a caller talking about Oklahoma and what is the status of the land in Oklahoma that was supposed to uh, to go to indigenous people. But also, Oklahoma's having a moment, I think, because they are one of the worst states in our country for child hunger. And now they've just rejected a federal program that would have provided free food for low-income kids over the summer, a summer EBT benefits program that was pilot-tested. Eligible families would have gotten 40 bucks per eligible kid from the federal government. So the yeah. low-income people in your state don't starve... Guys, what is wrong with Oklahoma? It's got bad energy, man, for what they did. I mean, again, we have to remember that Oklahoma was established as a dumping ground for indigenous people. It was just called Indian territory. They moved mm-hmm. hundred, like for hundreds of miles away. They brought all these Indians and they just put them in this what is, again, Indian territory. And so and what your caller was talking about was McGirt versus Oklahoma, where the U.S. Right. Uh, Supreme Court decided that they were going to give three million acres of uh, Oklahoma back to the indigenous people. But going back to, to this this food program, it drives mm-hmm. me nuts because the, the governor is this devout Christian. Right. And he his father was a pastor. He even said in a prayer that he gives every inch of Oklahoma to Jesus Christ. But (laughs) wasn't this Jesus guy a champion of the poor? Yeah. Wasn't he didn't he champion the sick, the poor? And then you have these hypocrites 
these yeah. these Republican hypocrites who go against the teachings of their Jesus, yet they'll Always. still go to church. They'll yes. go to church and they'll talk about Jesus left and right while these kids are starving, while these mm-hmm. kids are hungry, while the families struggle to stretch out meals. I find it extremely hypocritical. But yeah, Oklahoma has a lot of bad energy from what the white people did. Boom. Yeah. 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 Julie? And, um, you know, um, You've got, you know, I, I don't know why like they would pass on it. And I think, you know, the the this deep, deep shade of Republican red is happen happening there right now. And um and you get the Cherokee and the Chickasaw nations and they see a need, you know, with these children and they stepped in, kind of like a neighbor who shows up with a ladder, you know, like when your cat's stuck in the tree. And they took the forty eight million dollars these two nations, and they said, we'll feed the kids, you know, and they're not just feeding native children, but they're feeding all, all children. So it doesn't matter if you're native or non-native. And, you know, it's it's just, I, I don't understand how someone can see a problem like that and then just, you know, let it go to the Same. wayside. You know, when it Same. comes to hunger, right, there's no room at the dinner table for politics, really. And that's sort of what I think the takeaway is, you know, these nations are showing us that at the end of the day, you know, it's not about, you know, the red or blue. It's about making sure that no kid goes to bed hungry. And maybe, maybe this will be a nudge to our friends in the state capitol to remember that sometimes the best politics is simply taking care of your people. Well, really. especially because what are they going to do otherwise? This is no different than all of those red state governors who turned down billions in free money from the federal government under the Obamacare subsidies. And they literally said, here's more money so the poor people in your communities can have medical care. Because the alternative is your poor people don't have coverage. And then when they get sick, they go to work anyway, spread disease, or we all know what happens. They show up at the emergency room when they finally get Mm -hmm. sick. And then the local taxpayers pick up the tab. These capitalists always would rather rely on socialism than actually provide for the people in their states. Yeah. And And a lot of them don't know hunger. Yeah. They don't know hunger. They've never been hungry. They've never been. They've never struggled financially. Money isn't a determining factor for a lot of these that have intergenerational wealth. We need to discuss that Mm -hmm. because we're talking about Oklahoma. Oklahoma, just like every other state here in the United States, this is stolen indigenous land. And these people benefit from owning large swaths of land. So their children don't have to worry about uh, any sort of college tuition preventing them from buying a home or starting a family these people have the land that they stole from us so at no fault of these children at no fault of their own they're hungry and at no fault of their own the families don't own the land so they're struggling financially while these people don't know what it's like to be hungry and don't know what it's like to struggle and to, to just to fight for a morsel of food and i hate when people especially these really wealthy republicans reject that kind of money because it's not their kid yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's stolen intergeneral wealth, intergenerational wealth. We have, we can never forget that. Like these indigenous people in the region after the Trail of Tears were denied the chance to create intergeneral wealth for themselves. It was taken. And now the same authority, the same governance has rejected yeah. a federal program. I mean, Joe Biden wants to feed these kids, but they don't want to feed their yeah. own, they don't want to feed their own poor children, even when Joe Biden's offering to pick up the tab. I don't understand any of this unless they just believe the only way to get reelected is to be the most racist guy in the arena. Yeah. Or do anything that's opposite of Joe Biden. 
Yeah, I mean, even if it's good, even if it's something good, like feeding children, they can't be even seen to accept You're anything right. from Joe Biden. We need Joe yeah, Biden to come out against indigenous children so the Republican Party will finally support them. Uh, uh, <laughs> shit. That's we sad, are but man. Yeah, we, we're at 866-997-4748, by the way. 866-997-GRIT. Um, can, I, can I ask, what's going on with the Minnesota uh, state flag? I, I've been hearing about this, that uh, there's a bit of uh, airbrushing going on with, um, with this flag, and I'd like to know your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah. Let's see. You go ahead, Julie. I was just going to say real quick, um, Minnesota, they, so there's an image on the state flag, and it is a, a white farmer with a gun pushing a Native American off the land from, um, <laughs> that's on the state flag. And so in this they, century, and, in this century, that's on their flag. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, of course. So in a very, you know, symbolic gesture, you know, sort of a reckoning with history, they've removed that image, which is very lovely. And I think that's wonderful. Um, and so they've replaced it, I think, with a star or something more, something more inclusive to all Minnesotans, which is great and fine. And but for me, it's that t tokenism. It's kind of like the land acknowledgments. You know, th those mm. really kind of rub me the wrong way sometimes. I'm glad that they're there. But I hope that Minnesota, Minnesota has a terrible um, record with, you know, um, the foster care system with indigenous mm -hmm. children. You know, Minnesota yes. has a lot of, uh, one of the highest rates of missing and murdered indigenous women are in Minnesota. So I'm so happy that they changed the flag, but I would really love for there to be some movement, you know, tangible change in how native issues and native rights are addressed. And so that's sort of my um, hope for that. Simon, and little I'm by little. Know, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the old flag, I gotta say, it's, it's kind of weird looking. I mean, it, it it's is just, weird. It's, yeah. it's a weird design. It, and it's not he's I want to point out he's not actually pointing a gun at the Indian in the thing. It's just a farmer with an Indian and there's a gun there. And it's kind of weird. Well, the Indian <laughs> is running away. Right. Right. It's kind of like it's like the manifest destiny painting or image. Mm -hmm. And for all of you who haven't looked at it lately, I'm sure some of you have seen it in, in school. Um, it's this white woman floating like an angel and she's going west and there's the covered wagons behind her and then in the corner where it was painted very dark are indigenous people running away scared right mm -hmm. so it it's very similar to the manifest destiny painting and it does represent uh what white people called progress in dealing with the indian <laughs> problem removing the indian and you know uh, plowing the the soil right and so what they would call progress but again we have to remember that this this leans back into things like the doctrine of discovery the idea mm -hmm. that white people white christians have the right to take land that's not christian that's right. and remove the people now one part of that was one caveat was that if the indigenous people on that land convert to christianity then they can't take the land yeah. they didn't listen yep. to that part they did not yep. listen to that. They were like, we need to get rid of these fucking Indians. We're either going to kill them or going to run them off. We're going to send them off to Oklahoma. And that's what that's really what they did. So I think it's important that the flag does change, but we still need to remember that history. Just like the Declaration of Independence, where it literally references uh, reference us as um, merciless Indian savages, it's staying mm -hmm. in there. And we want people to understand that racism and the racist history of the United States when it comes to indigenous people. Is there a controversy about this? I'm sure there's some jerk-offs in Minnesota really offended that there's no longer a gun on the flag. 
Oh, not only that, they just don't want it to change. Remember, these are the same people that don't want to change the name of the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. These are the same people that don't want to get rid of Columbus Day. These are all the sitting like, well, you're taking our legacy. You know, it's it's that same kind of uh, Southern bullshit that they say about their fucking flag. That, oh, this is our, our culture. This is who we are. And they're like, yeah, that's a representation <laughs> of racism and slavery. And they're like, well, that's what you think this is my about my granddaddy. And so those are the same people we're dealing with. In Minnesota, I lived there for a long time, and there's some really racist pockets in Minnesota, and it's oh, those yeah. people who are coming out saying, ah, oh, these fucking Indians. It's, it's the same people that said, don't change the name of the Washington football team. That's our yep. culture. These Indians are just being uh, sensitive, yeah. and this is totally just right. more woke shit, and you're like, come on, man. This is clear, clear racism, and you're trying to excuse it? Yeah, anything that's anti-racism is on a... It's it's on a spectrum between woke and communist. Those are the words they can use. If you're anti-racism in any way, you will be called one of those two slurs. I mean, we are in the golden age of people who are more angry at protests against racism than they are at actual racism. It's the glory days of, of really being more bothered by Colin Kaepernick's knee than Derek Chauvin's. I'm so sorry, Julie. Right. Go ahead. That's no, no, that's no, that's. Okay. So the flag is done. Is the flag done or is this a done deal or is this up, it, up for debate now? In May. In May, they're going to change it. They already made it. It's it's supposed to represent the lakes. One of the colors is blue. It's going to represent the lakes. And then mm -hmm. there's the one that represents, I guess, the shape of Minnesota. And then there's the star. I think it's like the North Star. And so it's it's nice. I mean, it, it seems a little bland, but at least it's not racist. That's really important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I, it. yeah, I'm yeah. Go ahead. I'll take a it. Fish, maybe a fish for the lakes. I don't know. But still, it's not racist. They could have even done something that had, you know, First Nations people who weren't running away in horror. Right. They, you know, putting it out there. There's all <laughs> kinds of aesthetic choices that could have gone down. Are we really the only weekly national radio segment that focuses exclusively on indigenous issues? Or are you just, you know, buttering me up here? Are we the only one? That's a fact, man. Damn. That is a all fact. Right. Let me ask you about the Sovereign Citizens Movement. Um, it's been back in the news a bit lately, and uh, I, I, I've understood my whole life that this it's citizens who believe that they're not under the jurisdiction of the federal government and are exempt from U.S. law. But this doesn't apply to Donald Trump, right? This is not Donald Trump we're talking about here? <laughs> no, but it's the MAGA shits. It's, it's them. Let, let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, they are the ones that, and if you go on YouTube, you'll see that there's some um, videos that are, will demonstrate with, like one will get pulled over by a cop. Well, the cop pulls them over because they don't have a license plate issued by the state. They made their own and they don't have a driver's license. They printed their own. They made their own. And what it does, it does it really diminishes who sovereign people are. We indigenous people are sovereign people. We have a treaty with the, we have treaties with the United States mm -hmm. government. The Irish Americans don't have it, the African American, nobody has treaties with the United States government other than sovereign nations. We are sovereign people. We have our own laws. When you travel onto a reservation, you have technically left the United States. You may be on the continent of, what well, here in the United States, but you are now in what's considered Indian territory where we have our mm -hmm. own presidents and vice presidents and police. Um, we have again. It's one of it, we have our own languages. Some of some of our street signs are in Lakota. You won't know where the hell you're going. Uh, but these sovereign citizens are these anti-government um, extremists that yeah. believe that the laws don't apply to them. But again, you have to tell these people that yes, there are sovereign citizens in the United States, and it's the indigenous people. 
That's it. I mean, Julie, these yeah. are people we're talking about who are not indigenous, don't give a damn about what sovereign citizens really means. They're just here to abuse the court system. And exactly. Cause and that, yeah, like imagine adults armed with a haphazard understanding of legal terms. You know, they, they, they kind of don't really understand, you know, sort of the, the law and they make up laws themselves. And the fact that they believe that they, they don't have to adhere to any laws um, it's pretty ridiculous. And as a Native person, you know, the irony of this movement is pretty stark. You know, they're claiming this sovereignty based on these twisted legal theories and, you know, really just overlooking the continent's true original sovereigns, which would be Indigenous people. So, yeah. And we yeah. even have enrollment numbers, right? And that's that's the whole thing. And that's that's from when the United States wanted to count us like cattle. Right. They needed to to quantify how many savages are left after all of these massacres. And so we are over documented. We have driver's license yeah. numbers and Social Security cards, but we also have enrollment numbers. So the United States yeah. can go. That's an Indian. Right. But you also have sanity and shit you can back up with proof, because my understanding right. is these can, these jackasses, they have this theory that somehow the founding fathers had a common law system and then during the civil war when everything went wrong somehow the replacement yeah. government swapped the common law for admiralty law the law of the sea and now we live under the law of the sea which means i, I don't know what it, mm -hmm. it means i can kill a lot of people and your laws don't apply i mean literally it's not yeah. just that they're ripping off a status that is not theirs it's that they're abusing what it even means which can only, in my opinion, hurt how it looks when indigenous people try to claim these rights. Well, it's the same thing when people say tribe. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen those signs. Somebody will be like, uh, well, we're the cycle tribe. And so or the, we're the yoga tribe. And it diminishes tribe. <laughs> it diminishes who we are. Yeah. I mean, Indian law literally has the term tribe in there. And now you have these jackasses. I'm pretty sure they don't even know that indigenous people are sovereign people, that we literally have our own laws and we have our own enrollment numbers. I highly doubt they even know that we exist and that we are the, the sovereign people of this land. Beautiful. I mean, yeah, it, it also just seems like a lot of it is just lunatic white people. I mean, just crazy <laughs> ass white people who either want to kill someone or are just, you know, have petulant youngest child birth order issues. But I mean, oh, yeah. saying that I don't I don't have to pay taxes, I don't have to follow the speed limit. It all just is, again, the sort of thing that makes me embarrassed of Caucasians. You guys white will never know what that's man. like. You'll never know what it is. Yeah, there's white privilege, but then there's also white embarrassment. There's white shame. Let me tell you, between <laughs> these people, between these people yeah. and, and, and uh, mayonnaise, I'm just, I, I, I've got a heavy burden to bear. <laughs> Let me ask you guys, what is, what is giving you hope right now? What is inspiring you? We're about to come up on a year where we're going to be fighting a lot of the same issues and there will be a presidential campaign that most likely isn't going to bend over backwards to address indigenous mm -hmm. issues. But I, I want to ask both of you in our final minute, but what is giving you hope in 2024, Julie? For me, I think it's, you know, taking these small steps, you know, these you can feel, I think, for as an indigenous person, these small little shifts in in society where we, we are seeing some changes happening. We are seeing indigenous people being, you know, um, represented in ways that are not, you know, stereotypical. And so for me, I worked in, you know, trauma for a long time and kids being able to see these things. It's very, very, very helpful. And that's what is giving me hope these days. So small little incremental changes. And how do we follow you on social media, Julie? At Julie Franchella on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a website, juliefranchella.com. 
Simon, really quick, we've got about 20 seconds. What's giving you hope? Things like this, man. I mean, the fact that you gave us this platform and we are the only like mainstream uh, indigenous conversation, intellectual conversation yes. out there right now. It is. It goes back to representation. Well, uh, listen, I just hit the lotto that you use the word intellectual in the same sentence as this show. Thank you both so much for making this so smart and so entertaining every week. I learn stuff all the time. It's really a pleasure, and I can't wait for the next one. Uh, we will see you very soon. This is Progress. Progress.